following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. going on everybody this is alex fishbein back again with the atlantic files and today we are bringing back mike bash our nets correspondent and as always guys make sure you check out basketballsocietyonline.com also check out the underdog sports podcast network so let's jump into this mike how you doing doing good how about yourself i am good it's a little snowy and i've haven't gone anywhere today but still pretty good <laughs> what snow days are for exactly did you guys get uh like how much snow did you get today i think we got like seven or eight inches we got pounded pretty heavily yeah that's that's right about where we are i think we got about six inches but yeah yeah i mean to the to the northeasterners it's uh it's almost like a light a light snow <laughs> i wouldn't say that but yeah it's 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 Buffalo seen worse, like stuff like that. You know, they see twenty inches every year. Mm. I mean, even Erie just got sixty some inches the other week. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was that was insane. Yeah. That was pretty. That was, I've never seen that before. Oh yeah, that I was like, I'm so glad I don't live in Erie. <laughs> but anyway, so let's get on down to it. Let's get into the Brooklyn Nets. Exactly what you are here for. And we will jump in here with uh, some of the topics that you wanted to touch. So if you want to start off with uh, why should the Nets not trade Spencer Dinwiddie, let's get into that. So everything I'm reading is that Nets, and a lot of it's from Nets fans, but you know everyone's like, oh, what are we going to trade Dinwiddie for? What are we going to trade Dinwiddie for? And, and and I don't think the Nets should trade Dinwiddie. Um. Mm. Be, and and the reason that fans say, say is like oh well they signed him for you know veteran minimum took a chance on him now they could flip him for a late first round pick but okay. my question to to the fans is what are you going to get in a late first round in 20 you know a playoff team's only going to try to trade for him you're not going to you're not going to have a team in the top 10 of the draft be like oh yeah let's go out and get Spencer Dinwiddie so what are you going to get for him you're going to get a pick and 22 pick 24 is that guy going to be better than spencer dinwiddie you know averaging 12 points six to seven assists and you know three to four rebounds right now as you know with not with not the full roster around him is is, is i don't think so so i think taking spencer dinwiddie and flipping him for a late first round pick is not worth it to the nets i i think he should be the point guard of the future jeremy lynn is, hasn't been healthy in two years now and 
D'Angelo Russell, as I've said before, I've seen I've seen from him. I think he plays better off the ball. Um, he's six right. five. You know, he's long. He's not the that quick twitch athlete that a lot of two guards are, but he he he's big enough to play the two. And Dinwiddie's six six, so you're not you know you're not gonna be lacking size um, in the backcourt. And I I just think it, it would be best for the Nets if they kept Dinwiddie and and tried to you know build with him instead of shipping him off for a lottery pick like you know a not a lottery pick but like a lottery ticket like oh we'll take a twenty fifth overall pick and see what we get right and yeah i mean i i agree with that because there's really no guarantee in what i mean just off the bat there's really no guarantee in what you're getting in the draft at any spot but definitely nowhere close to a guarantee that late in the draft because like you said it's only going to be a playoff team that's going to want to trade for him exactly Uh, and on top of that it's like we've seen Spencer Dinwiddie when he was on the Pistons a lot of people like you know wanted him to be good and he just wasn't really finding his groove with Detroit and Brooklyn takes the flyer on him they see how much he's improved they see how much he can fit with this team and like you said he's doing this with the part of the team that isn't even the best version of itself and that I think should have should carry some merit in and of itself because if you can you know put up a, a decent like stat line like he's doing with the the this kind of roster that you have around him then it's like it's only going to get better from there on out with guys like D'Angelo Russell coming back and guys like Okafor now arriving someone else that can that he can you know work into the offense and work like a two-man game with so I, I do believe that Dinwiddie would probably be better for the Nets on the team rather than trading for that late first round pick Exactly, and this is how I look at it. Um, he's been playing very well. Uh, yes, his efficiency has probably gone down now that he's like the only, you know, he's not the only guy, but he's like the guy, you know, he's the head of the offense. Right. Um, how I look at it is he's putting up 12 points a game, six to seven assists a game, with Tyler Zeller and Alan Crabb as his two guard and his center. Exactly. Hopefully, the future would would have D'Angelo Russell as the two guard and Joel Okafor as the center, or even Jared Allen as the center, and that's better than Tyler Zeller and Allen Crabb. So, you, you know, when you have, I would love to see the opportunity of him getting the opportunity to have the full team around him and see what he could do. And and I just, I just, I, I personally think the Nets would be in a better spot to hold on to him and not trade him. There's other trade candidates, you know, um, Joe Harris I mentioned last time. Right. He's a shooter. I, he's gonna, he's a expiring contract. I think if you if we can get a late first round pick for him, then trade it. You know, I, maybe that might be too much. You're probably gonna get a second round pick for him or two second round picks. But you know, it, it, I just I don't think it would. I think that would be if you wanted to trade someone, it'd be Joe Harris or one of these big contracts that they have. But I don't I don't know if I'll be able to unload those. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the one name that I've been seeing thrown around quite often from a few people on Twitter was Damari Carroll. Um, I know that yeah, he, his contract is a little iffy, though, right? Yeah, he. I think he has two more years left on his contract after this. Um, we got a first-round pick attached with him from Toronto, but of course, Toronto is uh, having you know one of their best seasons 
But the uh, Demari Carroll still offers defense. He still offers a decent, you know, a decent shooting option. Uh, more of like a spot up shooter for a team like Cleveland or a team like Golden State. But you know, he's a defensive first player. Right. If they can unload that contract, would be great. It wouldn't hurt the future of the Nets. But that you know that that would be their prime. That's probably their prime trade and ca- trade candidate. Right. Uh, Alan Crabb makes a little too much money. Mozgov, nobody's going to touch because he makes way too much money. Doesn't even play. And um, the only other guy making that much money on the team is Carroll, Mozgov, Crabb, and Jeremy Lin. And Jeremy Lin's hurt, so you know it's that's pretty much their only trade candidate if they can move him. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I I mean, I could see Carroll helping a lot of teams sort of like Cleveland where they're, you know, they're at the the top of their division or conference and they just need that one extra defensive stopper, kind of like why they – how they use Jay Crowder. I can see them also using uh, uh, Carroll that way as well, like maybe coming off the bench. Um, But I could also see teams like, I mean, even Boston could probably use him. Like Brad Stevens could probably turn Damari Carroll into something really useful. So Yeah, I I just don't know if they have the cap room because of signing Hayward and having Irving and Horford. But no, definitely. uh, You know, there's teams out there that could use him. San Antonio could use him. Uh, you know, um, the uh, the Rockets could probably use him. Definitely, the Rockets barely play defense sometimes. So you know, there's teams out there that could use him. It's just the contract. If he wasn't making, I think he's making like 14 million dollars a year. If he was making eight million dollars a year, he probably wouldn't be on the Nets anymore. But he's oh, making, yeah. you know, double digits, and it's a money-driven league. It's also a results-driven league, and it, those two usually go together. So if 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 they can move him, it'd be great because they probably get something useful for him. But you know, you gotta see what Sean Marks can do. He's he, I, as I've seen a lot of good things out of him so far. So you know, I trust him to make the right decisions here. I agree, and I mean the the one thing that really like that I saw about Damari Carroll is somebody said that they would love to see him fly back with Minnesota after that because they think that he would be a perfect fit for Minnesota. That that's a that's a good team. That that's a pretty good, um, you know. I don't think Towns is getting paid yet, big no, money. Not yet. So they might be able to afford Damari Carroll until you know until they have to. They have Butler who's going to has big money, and they just signed Wiggins to big money. Right. I know Jeff Teague might be making some money. So I, I if they have that's a good team. That's a perfect team. I would think you know just a defensive six man kind of guy that could use them. Um, I don't know if they have the money though. Yeah. So, on kind of on the topic about the GM, before we get to Okafor Russell, uh, let's talk about uh, what you sent to me about, you know, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen showing how Sean Marks really knows how to draft. Yeah, LeVert, um, LeVert is really, I, I knew he was good. I knew he was talented coming out of Michigan. I know the first time we talked, you mentioned, do I think LeVert can become that playmaker kind of, you know, help you know help run the offense off the bench and I shot it down I said I don't see it I don't think he could do that I don't think that's his game I think he's more of you know a score mentality kind of guy and over the last I'd say 20 games or so he he's every every time you look at the box score it's seven assists five assists six assists you know he he's really he's really surprised me this year uh with how much 
he's creating offense for others. You know, just looking at his last 20 games, yeah, he's got six assists, five assists, six assists, four assists, six assists, ten assists. He had a ten assist game, uh, eight assists. I'll let, you know, his last three games, 11 assists, seven assists, eight assists. And if the game before that, he had seven assists. You know, he's really came on as a playmaker in this offense. And, you know, he's still putting up double-digit points. That, 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 that is a building block for the future. I even, you know, and he, he, he's been shown the ability to play three different positions. He's shown he can play small forward. He's shown he can play shooting guard. And now he's shown he can play point guard off the bench. So that was a great pick, a uh, draft pick by, uh, by Sean Marks and Jared Allen. They brought him along slowly this year, but he, he looks like that, def- like that Tyson, I mean, Tyson Chandler in his prime, but he looks like, what Tyson Chandler developed into, at least to some extent. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there's these two guys are two of my favorites so far to see their growth. Um, and like you were saying about Karis Levert's playmaking ability and how it's, it's like getting better and better increasingly every time. Uh, I was looking at his stats just a little bit earlier. So last season he played a total of 57 games, started 26 of them, and he had a total of 110 assists. Through 37 games, he already has a total of 156 assists. So he's way, you know, way ahead of the pace. And yeah, you know, he he was. I don't know if he was fully healthy last year because he did come off that knee injury. But he, yeah, he shocked me. I didn't. I did not see that, and I'll admit that I did not see that in his game but it's it's great um you know and and i think that having dinwiddie if him and dinwiddie are the point guard and backup point guard of the future or you know that's their roles along with a guy like russell i i think that that could be a successful trio of guys because russell is really a scorer he's big so he could rebound a little bit but he's not a he's not that you know lonzo ball kind of you know or or uh you know uh, what? You know John Wall, get everyone involved, kind of yeah. point guard. He's that score mentality kind of point guard, score first point guard. Right, right, yeah, and I, and I agree. And also on top of that, I think that uh, Lavert would fit well. Like, just say going forward, you have Okafor as your starting center and Jared Allen as your backup center. I like going forward. I would love the duo of those two and and Lavert being able to find. Okafor and maybe like a pick and roll situation or being able to really get the entry pass to him when others may may not be able to um and like like with uh with Jared Allen I, I love what I was just watching uh the condensed version of the game against uh Orlando and Jared Allen it just has a knack for being in the right position at the right time like there were so many plays that either off of the pick and roll or just him, you know, being patient down low in the post, got himself open and got himself a wide open dunk like numerous times in that game. And with a guy like Levert who can, you know, with that kind of increasing playmaking ability could really work well with a guy like Jared Allen who knows where to be on the court and has a a good wherewithal of of knowing when to be patient knowing like which side of the paint to be on and you know a guy that you can lob a a pass up to for an alley-oop as well um yeah he's a he's a rim runner that's basically you know his offense is basically what 
Well, I think Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler had a bigger body than him, but I think that style of play is probably the best comparison I could think of. Right. Where it's like a DeAndre offense, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, DeAndre Jordan, I think, is a little more athletic, but right, you know, right. it's like that. His offense, you don't, you don't, you're not posting up Jared Allen. You're not, you're not, you know, running plays through Jared Allen. What you're doing is, is, you know, when the defense collapses, he's right there on the baseline for a dunk. When, when you run a pick and roll, he's rolling to the rim and getting a lob. Or, you know, it's garbage points. But you know, at the end of the day, well, you he'll probably score ten to twelve points a game, which. Right. If you're giving him defense and rebounding, that's more than enough. Oh yeah, hey, if if you can get twelve points and like somewhere between seven and ten rebounds and then a couple blocks, especially if he's gonna be the backup center, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, that that that's pretty much what got um Biombo paid after doing well in Toronto, like those exact stats as a backup center. Um, and yeah, like uh. Jared Allen is one that I've always been looking forward to seeing how he grows. And so I do agree that this this is showing very well on uh, Sean Marks' resume for the draft. Um, for sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. He's So far, he's two for two in draft picks, at least, in my eyes. Exactly, exactly. For where you got, you know, he's getting these guys, and both these guys were not lottery picks. Both these guys were picked in the 20s. So, you know, but after pick... 12 the draft becomes a crapshoot and he's found two guys to contribute so you know that right. speaks volumes yeah and like it'll be it'll be fun to finally see what he can do with a pick of their own or a lottery pick just in general yeah which hopefully will come next year true very true um so going on to the the other topic you here you had and it, and it was um why Okafor and Russell could form a great pairing in in due time. Yeah, I, 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 you know, Okafor, will he ever live up to the number three pick that he was? It's, you know, it's still early. He's, what is he, 21 years old? 20, yeah, yeah 22 years, going to be 20, no, he's 22, turning 23. Right. Um, it's still early, big men take plenty of time to develop. Um, he, he, he needs to get in better shape, which is what they said in Philly. And obviously we've seen that in New Jersey or in Brooklyn. I'm sorry. I had a flashback for a second. Um, and, but he, he's skilled offensively. He's very talented offensively. Every player in the league nowadays, whether you're a big man or a guard develops somewhat of a jump shot. I'm not saying he's going to become Joel Embiid shooting threes, but he'll develop a mid range jump shot. He'll develop, you know, work on his free throws. I think he could be a guy that, you know, he could be a he could be a focal point of the offense from the low post because he is so skilled down there. And with D'Angelo Russell, we 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 know that he he before he got injured was averaging twenty points a game. We, we know he's going to be a very talented offensive player. I th- I think the two of those guys being the focal point of the offense in the future can be very successful if, you know, the right team's built around him. You're going to have to get shooters to open up the, you know, the paint for Okafor. But I, I think I still like Okafor's upside. I do like the trade they made. And, you know, a year ago this time, the Nets had nothing to build around. Now they have potentially two, you know, 
cornerstone pieces of the franchise to build around. Not now these. I'm not saying these two guys are Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, even though they were drafted that high. But you know, they they have hope, and that's what Nets fans can hope for. You know, they have they have something to hope to build around. Exactly, and I mean at this point, that's. That's really like all you can ask for is just at least the hope that there's something on the horizon because like after the whole, you know, the whole Billy King trade and everything, there's just a lot of like just downhill, no hope or no expectations or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you, anytime you trade for a guy who's like a, who was a top five pick it's going to be interesting regardless whether they played well or not with whatever team they were with before. Um, unless, of course, you were the Sixers trading for Kwame Brown when he was like 30 years old. But um, Kwame Brown just didn't belong in the NBA from the day he got drafted. Oh, no. Not not at all. Um, I actually – I don't know if you – have you ever read the book uh, From Preps to Pros? No, I, I... – feel like i've heard of it but i have i have not read it well a i recommend it to you and anybody listening it's a great book uh it talks about everybody going from like high school to the nba and talks about the failures and the successes and it talks about kwame brown in there and yeah it, there was a lot of things in there that really showed like the the attitude and personality of kwame brown and from day one it was like yeah he's not he's not gonna make it <laughs> but um uh, of the looking at what what did he have a you know one of those mentalities of oh I made it I'm good I don't have to you know I don't have to continue to work hard uh not exactly it was it was like more so of the fact that he had like a ton of expectations and he couldn't really handle them and it was also the fact that he was um uh he was one of Michael Jordan's first draft picks so he was like, oh, my God, I have to perform well for Michael Jordan. And it was like all this stuff about Michael Jordan. And then it was just kind of like when like at a practice where like Jordan kind of like berated him because he wasn't doing things. He kind of like sh- like shelled up and just like kind of like shut down. Like one oh, okay. of those kind of things. That's, that's interesting. I'll, uh, I'll have to look into it. Yeah, it is a good one. Um, but anyway, so yeah, even though Okafor had his issues, we still did see plenty of of bright flashes from him. So, uh, you know, for a team who hasn't had their own draft pick in a long, long time, who hasn't been in the lottery for a long, long time, even though they haven't been playing well, it's going to be exciting and give you at least a little bit of hope regardless. Um, especially on top of the fact that you guys got D'Angelo Russell as well, so... Uh, I, I do think that going forward, this duo will be good. Like, I, I agree with you that they will be good. It just all is a matter of if Okafor can, you know, continue to grow and continue to try and develop his game into what the, the into the style of game that the NBA is following in the current day and age. Yeah. You know, he, he, it, he is a... He's a guy who, hey, if he was drafted in 1997, he might have been, you know, on a path for the Hall of Fame because, you oh, know, yeah. he he's got the same he's got the same skill set as Tim Duncan. Exactly. Uh, well, hold on, let me let me rephrase that. Well, I do not think he is the next Tim Duncan. That is not what I meant. 
But Tim Duncan coming out of college, offensively, I should say, he has a similar offensive skill set, was, you know, back to the basket, low post, you know, Tim Duncan, the big fundamental. He he did right. everything right in the post. And Baby hooks, Jewel, back there's shots, no reason, all that. You know, that's what Joel Okafor was looked at coming out of college. There's no reason that he can't be that low post offensive presence. Now, Tim Duncan was also a good shot blocker, was also playing alongside, you know, David Robinson. So, yeah, see, I'm not saying he's the next Tim Duncan. Don't, you know, don't uh, get me wrong there. But um, he, he has he has the skill set to succeed. Um, I do... I do feel like the league will, because the league, no matter what league it is, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, mm-hmm. it always goes through changes. Right. Now, right now, primarily because a guy like LeBron James, the league has become "quote unquote" positionless. Right. I do think in five, like three to five years, you know, when LeBron gets to thirty-eight. The league might slow down a bit. I, you know, Steph will be older, LeBron will be older, uh, Durant will be older. I feel like the league will slowly transition back to a big man's kind of league, and you know, go through that cycle again. So hopefully for Julio Okafor, that right when it, you know, he's twenty eight, twenty nine is when that switch make is made, and he's still, you know, able to be in the league. Right. Uh, that, that, that 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 if that happens, that he'll be fine. Um, I just, you know, I, I, it's hard to say because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen three years from now. You don't know what's going to happen five years from now. But I do know that these leagues go through cycles. You know, baseball will become a pitcher's league and then it'll become a hitter's league. And, you know, uh, football will become a passing league and then uh, it'll become a running league. You know you know what I mean? So right. there's always these cycles in sports. And I, I feel like as as much as we've gotten away from the traditional big man that we could get that we might get back to that soon. Because exactly. there's a lot of big men coming, like Towns and all these guys, that although they can shoot the ball, the big men are starting to dominate the league again. Right, and that, that's what I was going to say is that a lot of the reasons that the leagues change is because of the group of people coming up from, you know, like the high school, college ranks. And like like you just said, with Towns and Bede and all those guys, like, there's a lot of big men on the rise, and there's still a lot coming from college, too. Like, you still have exciting guys that people are looking forward to that are big men, like uh, uh, Bamba, and you have uh, the one guy from Arizona, Aton. Um, like, you have... Yeah, and if you if you look at the... I don't mean to cut you off there, no, but if you good. look at the top six projected, top seven projected picks, you got DeAndre Ayton, seven-footer. You got... Marvin Bagley, who's a little, he's a little athletic for a force, but he's you know he's six yep. eleven. Uh, you, you got Mo Bamba, you got Jaron Jackson, um, you know you got a lot of big men there. You have Trey Young now, who's skyrocketed, and right. that's because everyone thinks he's the next Steph Curry. But other than that, it's a lot of big men in there. Exactly, and it, adding those on top of the the young big guys that are already you know, taking the league by storm is really going to turn it all into, like you said, a big man league again. And that's something that, you know, we were like, uh, like uh, for basketball society and like the group chat that we have and everything, we were saying like last year, two years ago, when, you know, the Warriors were, were taking it all by storm by being a jump shooting team. We were saying like, you know, just wait a few more years. As soon as more big men come up, it'll turn back into a big man league. Like, even um, in the early 2000s, it was 
kind of a big man league, but it was also more of an ISO ball league. Like we just watched guys, you know, give the ball to Iverson, give the ball to Kobe, give the ball to T-Mac, and now move out of the way and let them do their thing. And, you know, everything moved away from that. And it's now more of a team style of ball where it's a whole lot of pick and rolls, find the open man, hit the three, or go for the layup. So there's, like, entire styles, entire, like, eras are completely different. And like you said, if – and there's, like, really two ifs to it. It's can Okafor, uh, like, mold himself into the big man that everyone looks at today or – Will the league turn into more of that low post scoring, you know, grinded out, big man dominated league like it used to be before? And either one of those will allow Okafor to, you know, be to to thrive and to, you know, improve his game and improve the look he has in the the public eye. Yeah, and it's 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 he he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to work hard to get his game where it needs to be, but you know he also can't forget his what got him to the league and use his strengths, literally and figuratively, to um you know make him a successful big man in this league. Exactly. Okay, so a couple of things that I just wanted to touch on real quick. What have you thought about Nick Stauskas? You mean Sauce? Oh yeah, Sauce Castillo. <laughs> uh, well, as a Sixer fan, I, I'd love for you to explain that nickname to me. I I don't I don't know what it means. Um, he he's had some big games. He had like a twenty-one point game. I think he, his debut was the twenty-two point game. He had a twenty-one point game, and then I know he had like a sixteen point game. But a lot of that's come in garbage time. Um, I've always liked his game. I, I think he's like I, I could be wrong. He's like six eight, right? He's not small. Oh, he's no, six six. He's, six, uh, six. Yeah, he's six six. He's six six. But, you know, he's always been able to shoot the ball. He's always been a long you know, a three-point shooter, and that's what, you know, what is successful in this league right now. Right. Um, you know, I, I like to see him get more time, uh, you know, more than the whatever he's getting right now, the 15 minutes a game he's getting for the Nets, which is actually double what he was getting for Philly. Yeah. I'd like to see that up to, like, 18, 19, you know, and get him into that top seven, eight of the rotation. Uh you know, because I do believe his skill set. I, I I might have said it before, watching, and this is just watching his highlights. So obviously, you know, any guy can look amazing in his in their highlights. Mm-hmm. But he, he kind of looks like a kind of reminds me of a smaller Gordon Hayward, a okay. um you know a guy that can get to the basket, a guy that you know can finish at the rim. Now I'm not saying he's going to dunk on people, but he can get you know he can finish through a little bit of traffic, and a guy who could you know spot up and shoot. And, you know, Gordon Hayward's six eight, and Gordon Hayward's probably a, bit, a little bit heavier than him. Right. But you know, I, I, that's what I see when I see his game. It's kind of like a poor man's Gordon Hayward, which off the bench for the Nets would would be very helpful. Right, and yeah, I I, I, I did see more of that in his second season with the Sixers. Um, in his second season with the Sixers, you, you know, he was getting around twenty seven, twenty eight minutes a game, and he was that was the most he's been playing in a, a long time, and. It, like his second season really showed a lot of improvement in the ball handling and playmaking areas. Um, 
I mean, that second season, he only averaged two and a half assists per game. But at the same time, he was, you know, breaking his man down off the dribble a lot. He was getting into the paint and actually finding the open man on the perimeter or even making some nice passes down low. Uh, it's just there's there's still a lot, obviously, he has to work on in the ball handling factor. Um, but, yeah, if he can, if he can just get his three-point shooting back to what he was doing at Michigan, uh, I mean, he would be a lock on any roster. And, like, right now, I mean, he's he's enjoying so far his best three-point shooting streak that he's had in a long time in the NBA. Like, with the his first season with the Kings, he finished with 32%. His uh, first season with the Sixers was 32%. The second season with the Sixers got up to 37%. But right now, through these 11 games... He's been attempting almost four threes a game, and he's been making 55% of them for the Nets. Um, and so if he can, I mean, I'm not saying he has to keep it around 50%, but if he can at least, you know, bring his three-point percentage up to at least 40% while attempting these, like, four threes a game, uh, I think that would be enough, really, to get him a good amount of playing time, if not for the Nets, then for some other team that's going to need a three-point shooter. Yeah, I mean, you always need a three-point It's, I don't like to look at those, um, you know, the, I, I don't know if, I know in baseball it's considered like a saber metric, but like those advanced stats, I should say, uh, right. you know, and I'm looking at on his, um, on his basketball reference page and there's the similarity score, uh, uh, similarity score. So they take the wind shares that every guy's gotten throughout his career and, and it gives you like 10 players that he's most, like most similar to right one guy in this list is a guy i loved as a, when when the nets were in new jersey and that's marshawn brooks oh i now, remember marshawn if he could score like marshawn did and, and average 12 points a game or something like that marshawn did that one year i think he, it was as high something like that 12 or 15 or whatever um that was 12 uh if he could you know score and play a little more defense than marshawn because marshawn didn't play any defense he'll stick around in the league and he he's a better shooter than he's shown so far. Right. Um, I think just once he gets more comfortable um, in the system, you know, I, I think the numbers will start to grow, and I think he'll be fine. I, I I'm I'm a big fan of Stauskas. I like the trade. I liked how we got. I like that, and that's got two future contributors. I'll say, um, and gave up Trevor Booker. I, I hope you you know as a Sixer fan, you're enjoying Trevor Booker. Uh, he is a big energy guy, so. I don't know how that's translated to the Sixers game. I okay. Well, first, let me go back to Stauskas real quick first. Um, like you said, a lot of people are just you know they're just waiting for him to come around three point shooting wise. Like at Michigan, uh, both seasons he shot forty four percent from three, and like his sophomore year, which was his last year at Michigan, uh, he was up to seventeen and a half points per game, three assists per game, three rebounds per game. Like that kind of that kind of stat line would be perfect. Um, so really, it's just you know waiting for him to get that feel back, you know, in the NBA uh, pace and in the NBA style of game. And then once once he gets that confidence back, then it's like then it's lights out from there. Um, but Trevor Booker, I personally I always liked Trevor Booker. I liked him on Utah as well, um, and. It's funny because, like, 
you can kind of see he just hasn't really found his exact role in Philly's offense yet. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, of the casual Philly fans, like just all Philly sports fans, I'm not a fan of them, <laughs> even though I'm kind of one of them. Um, and so a lot of them are like, you know, why is this guy on the team? Like he's trying to dribble the ball too much and loses it all the time. And he takes weird shots and stuff. And I, all I see is a guy just trying to find his role. Um, and it, I mean, it's been fun cause you know, he's diving all over the place, you know, trying to save balls from going out of bounds and he's, you know, making those hustle places on defense. Um, as long as he can bring some more like a more of a rebounding edge and then kind of find his role as like that half playmaker, half like guy that can space the floor a little bit and, you know, give some, give the other team at least somebody that they have to look at. Uh, I think he'll work out perfectly fine. It's just a matter of kind of finding that groove right now. Yeah, and and like you, I remember you said the first time we talked, every time that Trevor Booker's on the floor, some sort of hustle play always happens with him. Whether exactly. it's you know jumping out of bounds, saving a ball, or you know fighting for a loose ball, getting a rebound, you know he he he's a guy that he's not gonna push the needle for you in terms of like. He's not going to ever average 20 points a game. But when you get into a playoff series and you need that play late, that ball to bounce you the right way, I think he's the perfect guy for that role. Exactly. Plus, you just need that guy who can kind of, uh, you know, uh, give out that contagious kind of energy. And, like, he's definitely that kind of guy because there's a lot of times that I've seen the Sixers just kind of hit this lull where, you know, even Embiid just kind of stares at people under the rim and doesn't box out and doesn't try and get a rebound. So if you have a guy like Booker who's always fighting, always hustling, kind of gives you that contagious energy that'll make other guys be like, oh, if he's fighting, like I should go f- down low and fight for a ball too. Um, yeah, exactly. It's uh, energy and winning, or exactly. success, just to say, are two things that tend to be con- contagious in sports. Yep. And, you know, if he can bring the energy, then with the talent he has around him there, that soon the winning will come. And I think the Sixers will be very, very happy. The Sixers fans, I should say, will be very happy that the process is almost over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's uh, plenty of them that, you know, are... Although, Go ahead. Although I, I, I do know a Sixer fan that I talk basketball with pretty uh, often, and he he thinks Ben Simmons is the worst basketball player to ever play the game. <laughs> then again, he you know when it comes to baseball, he thinks that you know Alex Rodriguez was the worst, and 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 Derek Jeter stinks. So you know his takes are his takes are he's very old school, right? Um, on his sports takes, but I, I think at least once a night I get a text: Ben Simmons threw the ball out of bounds. He sucks. Ben Simmons <laughs> thinks it's like. It's like, geez, he's 21 years old. Give the guy a break. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I like. don't get me wrong. I can understand some of the Sixers fans' frustrations about that because when you tell them, oh, we drafted a, you know, like a superstar kind of player, they want him to be the guy that's also scoring 20 points a game. And well, Ben since, Simmons is scoring 17. I mean. Well, oh, oh, no, I know that. But the thing is, like, a lot of Sixer fans just watch, like, 
they they only think about the misses or the shots that he doesn't take rather than the ones that he makes and does take. <laughs> like it's it's kind of just in Philly fans' blood to look at the negative, and that's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there, there's a lot of people. There's I've been fighting with Philly fans for the longest time because all of them are now saying to fire Brett Brown because all of a sudden everything is Brett Brown's fault. Um, like we, we were, so I went to the game last night and, uh, we were like in the process of blowing another lead, which, you know, is a young team thing to do. And, uh, Dario Saric like drives to the hoop. He gets stuck, tries to pass it out to someone that he thought was on the wing who wasn't there anymore and passes it to no one. It goes out of bounds. And this, this fan, like two wrote that, like, it was a good like handful of fans, two rows over. We're all like, ah, fire Brett Brown. I was like, because Sarich threw a pass out of bounds? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and these people are like just going crazy yelling fire Brett Brown at the game. And I'm like, uh, I'm just like, ah, come on. Like, at least, you know, study the game and, and understand something about how the coach isn't in the wrong here. Like, don't just say fire the coach just to, you know, fire somebody. Yeah, no, it's it's the natural reaction of a fan. There's always a scapegoat. There's always, exactly. um, you know, there's always somebody that, that's at fault. And uh, I, I'm a Rutgers fan, and, you know, we uh, we got off this hot start. We won 10, you know, we're 10-3. and three. We beat Seton Hall. Our only loss is sort of big time teams and you know all three ranked in the top 20 mm-hmm. and we played them all close pretty much and then we lost to Hartford and then we lost to Stony Brook and then we lost to now we got blown out by Purdue and you go on these message boards and everyone's like oh Pico can't coach Rutgers players can't play you know oh, two weeks ago the, this team was going to the NCAA tournament in their eyes now now we need a new coach you know it's it the fans jump on any opportunity they can. Exactly. Exactly. And By the way, this is, uh, I was going to say this is off topic, but um, did you did, did you by any chance catch Terrence Ferguson last night? I did. Well, I caught the highlights. I didn't catch the actual game. Oh, well, he, I, he, I, he was the guy who wanted the Nets to take. He went one pick before <laughs> the Jared Allen pick. He went 21 and Nets took Allen at 22. But uh, he was one of those kids who I, I think he played in like China or or he was in uh, Australia. Or, where was he? Australia. Australia. Okay, I, mean, <laughs> I knew it was somewhere overseas. Um, yep. Because you know he didn't go to college, but yeah, it was he finally got playing time. He had twenty four points, so I, I thought that was interesting. Right. If he come around, that'd be much better than Andre Roberson, who can't shoot. <laughs> exactly, and I I was hoping because yeah, I was you know. I didn't know much about Ferguson like that much before the draft, but when the draft was coming up, I think within like the last like probably few weeks right before the draft, I started looking up a lot of stuff about him because um, I was thinking, you know, the at the time the Sixers still had their two late first round picks, um, so I was like, huh, maybe like they could look at at Ferguson with one of those picks as well, uh, and th- there was a lot of things that I liked that I saw out of him. And I'm just glad that, you know, he finally got a chance to, to show something. Yeah. And, and everything I read was he's supposed to be a three and D kind of player. Yep. 
I don't know if you saw that athleticism last night, but that's a little more than a 3 and D kind of guy. Oh, yeah. If you can make threes with that athleticism, the... As cliche as it sounds, the sky is the limit. Oh yeah, like it. It, it was. I mean, it. It. Um. If if you can do that kind of thing and have the athleticism of like a Gerald Green kind of guy, like, <laughs> you're gonna have a spot on any team. <laughs> um, but uh, like I was saying about the uh, the coaches, um. Like you were saying, any there, there's always a scapegoat, and I'm just so used to it in Philly because it's like since I've since I've grown up and watched sports and everything, it was always fire Andy Reid, fire Chip Kelly, fire Charlie Manuel, uh, fire enter Flyers coach here, uh, Ron Hextall, I think. Or... Oh yeah, I mean, literally every single season except the one that they got to the Stanley Cup, they were saying fire the coach. Oh, it was Peter Laviolette. That was the guy. Laviolette. Yeah, there you go. Um, um, they wanted to fire. Yeah, they, it was just fire everybody. And then, of course, after Larry Brown with the Sixers, it was like Eddie Jordan and all these other no-name coaches that everyone oh, was like. Oh, don't worry. I, I, I know well of Eddie Jordan. Yeah. I, that, guy, that guy can't coach. I had a feeling you would be able to relate with Eddie Jordan. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Jordan couldn't manage his way out of, like, a Walmart, let alone manage the <laughs> basketball team. Oh, yeah. And it was, there was just such a, lo- uh, a long string of just terrible coaching. And, I mean, even Doug Collins, people were like, all right, he used to be a sixer. He might do well. And he, he did decent for the team that he had. And then as soon as he as soon as the news came out that he wanted to sign Kwame Brown to a like twenty million a year deal, everyone was like, Okay, what what are you doing? Leave. We don't want you anymore. <laughs> so I'm like I'm just fighting for Brett Brown because I'm like, guys, he's a great player development guy. He's he learned under Popovich, like just give him time. We, we don't need to fire him right now. <laughs> Um, yep. No, that's that's fans of sports for you. They will they will jump on anything that they can. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, that's about all the Nets things I wanted to talk about. Uh, unless there was anything you had left on your mind. No, you uh, you you we covered everything I wanted to talk about. I think uh, it's a good way, a good place to wrap it up. Um, I I, I think you know we covered. A lot in this episode. I think we got a, you know, got a lot of good stuff out there. So I'm I I'm content. All right. Um. Yep. I'm good too. Uh. Go ahead and just let them know where they can find you on social media. Uh. And my Twitter is at mbash nine underscore ninety three. All right. All right. And uh, oh, also, guys, make sure you go on basketballsocietyonline.com and check out. Mike's first article on Rutgers on there as well. I did I did see that. Uh that was a great article. I did enjoy that one. Yeah, it shows uh, why uh why the fans are jumping on Steve Pike already. Exactly. Um and so yep, so guys go check that out. As always, check out the rest of the things on Basketball Society. Uh we have we will also be at All Star Weekend, a few of us will be, uh, from Basketball Society. And, of course, we'll, there's a number of podcasts we have and a number of podcasts on the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you check all of those out. 
I will see you guys next time. Peace.